Sirah, a biography of Muhammad, the last messenger of Allah, written by Professor Dr. Safwat Khalilovich. Chapter 41 The Battles of Badr and Uhud Islamic Understanding of Peace and War Before describing the course and the lessons of the Battle of Badr and Uhud, it is important to briefly touch on the Islamic understanding of peace and war, as Muslims are often censured for it. In recent times, some known Muslim media in the West have frequently branded Islam as a violent religion that was spread by sword and whose followers are prone to violence and bloodshed. With regard to this matter, we find it important to present a brief outline of the view of the International Union for Muslim Scholars, gathering prominent Islamic scholars from different parts of the world. The author of this book is a member of the Union and its Board of Trustees. The Union, chaired by Sheikh Dr. Yusuf al-Qaradawi, was established at a conference in London in 2004, and one of the main objectives of its establishment was to provide a wide framework that would enable Muslim scholars from different corners of the world to meet, confer, and present common views on the matters concerning Muslims all over the world. The Union has so far gathered several thousand scholars. The Union works on harmonizing the divergent views of the different schools of Islamic law as it gathers both Sunni and Shiite scholars and synthesizing the scholars' theories and results addressing the biggest problems of the Muslim community nowadays, so that and the Union publishes books, proclamations and declarations, especially important publication being the Islamic Charter, presenting a global and well-measured view on the mission of Islam and the most important issues which concern the Muslims today. The Union calls into an all-inclusive CERN the Muslims today. The Union calls into an all-inclusive Islam comprising faith and religious law, religious practice and manners, ethics and ethical values. The future world and this world, culture and civilization, community and state. In this introduction, we shall present the Union's position on the Islamic understanding of war and peace as expressed in the Islamic Charter. Going back to the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, let us recall that for 13 consecutive years in Mecca, he called people to God with wisdom and good advice, not requesting any reward or anything else from them except to pronounce God is our Lord. However, his fellow tribesmen, Quraysh, and the other idol-worshipping Arabs from the area opposed it and responded with abuse, persecution, tricks, boycott, torture, and finally the expulsion of the Muslims from their homes. The Muslims would come exhausted and injured to the Prophet, asking for permission to take up arms and defend themselves, yet he recommended to them to be patient and endure the suffering. He used to quote from the Qur'an, Restrain yourselves from fighting, perform the prayer. Chapter the Fourth, Verse 77 
During the whole Meccan period, the Muslims were continually in some kind of struggle, yet it was not a struggle in which a sword or a spear was their weapon. Their weapon was rather the calling, explaining and conveying the revelation. That is what the Qur'an calls the greater jihad. So do not give in to the disbelievers, strive hard against them with this Qur'an. The 25th chapter, verse 52. That was a struggle by patience against the tribulations and abuse that also included the boycott under which the Muslims ate leaves from trees and the two migrations to Abyssinia, that is when the following verse was revealed. Do people think they will be left alone after saying, We believe without being put to the test? The 29th chapter, verse 2 A Muslim struggles all his life. He struggles against his own cravings, the evil surrounding him and the Satan. He struggles with his tongue and pen in calling to religion. A Muslim, therefore, is not always an armed combatant. Armed combat is not always necessary. It must be rooted in specific reasons, which we shall list in this chapter. There is no doubt that throughout the whole Meccan period, the Prophet and his friends lived like combatants, but they waged armed combats only after the migration to Medina. Therefore, they had fought without arms until they moved to Medina, whereupon the first Quranic verse was revealed, allowing them an armed combat in order to defend themselves and their families. Those who have been attacked are permitted to take up arms because they have been wronged. God has the power to help them. Those who have been driven unjustly from their homes only for saying, Our Lord is God. The 22nd chapter, verses 39 and 40. In the ten years of the Medinian period, the Prophet incessantly fought armed battles at many fronts. The front against the Arab idolaters, the front against the hostile Jews, and the front against the Byzantine Empire. For that reason, he had to lead 27 military campaigns and to dispatch more than 50 reconnaissance patrols commanded by the companions Sariya. The Prophet never initiated a conflict or an attack just for the sake of it, but each of these campaigns was a response to an actual or probable enemy attack, as confirmed by all independent researchers of the Prophet's campaigns, starting from the Battle of Badr to the Tabuk campaign. Some enemy attacks were conducted directly against Muslim homes, as was the case with the Battle of Uhud and the Battle of the Trench. That is why some Islamic scholars say that fighting is prescribed for defense of family members, which is clearly indicated by the relevant Quranic verses and the reliable Hadith. The words of the exalted Allah related to the polytheists suffice to us. So, if they withdraw and do not fight you, and offer you peace, then God gives you no way against them. 
the fourth chapter, verse 90. These words are a reference to the situation when fighting is prohibited. In the opposite case, the exalted says, So, if they neither withdraw nor offer you peace, nor restrain themselves from fighting you, seize and kill them wherever you encounter them, we give you clear authority against such people. The fourth chapter, verse 91. The assertion that these and similar verses were abrogated by the so-called verse of the sword is unacceptable, as it is illogical and incomprehensible that Allah's speech be abrogated, the speech proven by the absolutely reliable tradition and the opinions of some scholars who treated by the issue of abrogation in the Qur'an. We should point that the scholars are not unanimous about which verse is the verse of the sword, some of them arguing in favor of the following words of the exalted. When the forbidden months are over, wherever you encounter the idolaters, kill them, seize them, besiege them, wait for them at every lookout post. The chapter 9th, verse 5. The idolaters referred to in this verse are the ones referred to in the beginning of Surah 9, Repentance. A release by God and His Messenger from the treaty you made with the idolaters is announced. The chapter 9th, verse 1. These are not just any idolaters, but the ones whom the exalted Allah and the Prophet condemned because they had entered into covenant and then breached it, and because they had a full attitude toward Islam, the Prophet and his calling throughout the whole Meccan and Medinian periods. Islam and Peace It is a fact that Islam does not want war or fighting, and it does not require shedding of blood. In that respect, the Qur'an says the following about crisis between Muslims and their adversaries that ends without fighting and bloodshed. God sent back the disbelievers along with their rage, they gained no benefit and spared the believers from fighting. He is strong and mighty. The 33rd chapter, verse 25. These words are undoubtedly far-reaching and very convincingly express the peaceful spirit of Islam. God spared the believers from fighting. When the conflict at Hudaybiyah ended in a truce with Quraysh and peace came to both sides, it was revealed, Truly, we have opened up a path to clear triumph for you. The 48th chapter, verse 1. Some companions then asked, O messenger of God, is this a victory? He answered, Yes, this is a victory, although they could not imagine a victory without fighting. In the same surah, the exalted Allah informs the faithful that he did a good thing for them.
in the valley of Mecca. It was he who held their hands back from you and your hands back from them after he gave you the advantage over them. The 48th chapter, verse 24. We should pay particular attention to the notion that the exalted Allah did a good thing for the believers by having held their hands back from their enemy. The prophet that most courageous men did not like war. He told the companions, radiallahu anhum, do not desire to confront your enemy. Pray to Allah to save you from it. If you do confront the enemy, then exercise patience. The Prophet also said, The finest names are Abdullah, Allah's slave or servant, and Abdurrahman, slave of the most merciful, whilst the ugliest are Harb, war, and Murra, the bitter one. So the Prophet did not like the noun Harb, or giving children the names associating to war, as had been the Arab habit in the pagan era. This clearly shows that Islam calls unto peace and truly attaches a great importance to it. One of the proofs is the fact that the Arab word for peace, salam, is also used as a greeting among the Muslims in this world and the hereafter. When they meet him, they will be greeted with peace. The 33rd chapter, verse 44. One of Allah's names referred to in the Muslim literature is As-Salam, the one who gives peace, along with Al-Malik, the king, and Al-Quddus, the holy. For that reason, Muslims often name their children Abdus-Salam, and the paradise is often referred to as Darus-Salam, the house of peace. They shall have the home of peace with their Lord, the sixth chapter, verse 127. Islam and Jihad In a situation when Muslims are attacked, when enemy starts desecrating Islamic holy places, objects or scriptures, conquering Muslim lands and smearing the honor of Muslims, Islam encourages its followers to fight and orders them to spend their lives and wealth to that end. In that regard, Allah says, How could you not fight a people who have broken their oath, who tried to drive the messenger out? who attacked you first, do you fear them? It is God you should fear if you are true believers. The chapter 9th, verse 13. Fighting is ordained for you, though you dislike it. You may dislike something although it is good for you, or like something although it is bad for you. God knows, and you do not. The chapter 2nd. Verse 216 Some people think that Islam that calls to fighting on the way of God does not care for peace, that it refuses a call to peace. That is a misunderstanding about Islam. The Islamic literature states precisely the reasons for jihad. Fighting in God's cause, jihad, is prescribed for the following reasons to prevent persecution on religious grounds. 
Fight them until there is no more persecution, and worship is devoted to God. The chapter 2nd, verse 193. The Quran considers persecution to be worse and more serious than killing, since killing denotes an assault on man's physical side, while persecution denotes an assault on man's spiritual side. For that reason, prevention of persecution implies protection of religious freedom for everyone. In such case, fighting denotes a defense of man and his freedom to save the oppressed from humiliation and oppression. Why should you not fight in God's cause and for those oppressed men, women, and children? The chapter 4, verse 75. Toward the enemy of Islamic holy places, objects or scriptures, and vital state institutions, fight in God's cause against those who fight you, but do not overstep the limits. The second chapter, verse 190. That is an all-inclusive and persistent wording of the enemies. You may fight the idolaters at any time if they first fight you. The ninth chapter, verse 36. However, despite this, Islam shall not shut the door to a chance of peace and reconciliation if proper conditions are fulfilled. But if they incline towards peace, you must also incline towards it and put your trust in God. The eighth chapter, verse 61. The most important reason for reconciliation is cessation of hostilities, preventing an occupation and reinstatement of usurped rights. The fight in the path of gods is guided by firm ethics and discipline. Islam prohibits the killing of women, children, the elderly, priests, farmers, and merchants. It also prohibits deception, mutilating corpses, felling trees, pulling down buildings, contaminating water, wells and springs, and the scorched earth, the destruction that leaves nothing behind. This is established on the basis of authentic Sharia texts and the practice of the rightly guided caliphs and the generations of Muslims that came after them. European historians also admit this when they refer to the Muslim conquests, which actually represented liberation of peoples from the terror of the old empires, Persia and Byzantium. They wrote that history had not known conquests as just and trouble-free as the ones conducted by Arabs, that is, Muslims. In his comment on the verses of Surah 22, the pilgrimage, pursuant to which Muslims were allowed an armed combat, Dr. Mustafa As-Sibai, famous Islamic scholar from Syria, notes that the exalted Allah made armed expeditions permissible for Muslims in the year 2nd and Noah Hijrai. The following Quranic verses were revealed in that respect. Those who have been attacked are permitted to take up arms because they have been wronged. God has the power to help them. Those who have been driven unjustly from their homes only for saying, Our Lord is God, 
If God did not repeal some people by means of others, many monasteries, churches, synagogues, and mosques where God's name is much invoked would have been destroyed. God is sure to help those who help his cause. God is strong and mighty. Those who, when we establish them in the land, keep up the prayer, pay the prescribed alms, command what is right, and forbid what is wrong. God controls the outcome of all events. The 22nd chapter, verses from 39 to 41. Professor Elsibai notes that in these verses Allah clarified that the purpose of the fighting that was prescribed to the believers was not only protection of freedom of religion for them alone, but that it would also be beneficial for the followers of other religions, that is, Judaism and Christianity. In that period the Muslims fought against idolaters who were not followers of a religion of divine origin. In case the Muslims gain in strength, they would be able to secure protection of mosques as well as the Jewish and Christian houses of worship so that idolaters and atheists should not prevail over them, shut down their houses of worship and destroy the divine religions. We find this idea clearly expressed in the verse. If God did not repel some people by means of others, many monasteries, churches, synagogues, and mosques where God's name is much invoked would have been destroyed. Monasteries are the places where monks live in seclusion, are Christian houses of worship, that is, churches, and El Salawat are synagogues, that is, Jewish temples. Thus it becomes clear that the goal of waging a war in Islam is not to destroy the divine religions and demolish their houses of worship, but to protect these religions from supremacy of atheists and idolaters, and to prevent atheists and idolaters from shutting down or demolishing these houses of worship. Professor Elsibai then explains that these verses also contain a reference to the results of the believers' victory in their lawful struggle. These results are not manifested as colonization of peoples of their riches, looting of their wealth, or degrading of their honor, but rather as the benefit for humankind and society achieved through the following. A spreading of spirituality in the world through the submission to the Creator and performing of the prescribed prayers, who keep up the prayer, spreading of social justice among peoples through alms, who pay the prescribed alms, c. cooperating for the sake of the common good, generosity, and social progress who command what is right. d. Cooperating in curbing evil, crime and corruption. Who forbid what is wrong.
these are, as Dr. Alcibais concludes, the results of the believers' victory in the war with enemies and of the establishment of the Islamic State that strives for spiritual elevation, societal solidarity, encouraging man's evolution toward the good and preventing him from straying to the path for evil. He then wonders which human goal is more sublime than this one for which fighting was prescribed in Islam. Which struggle in history is on a par with this goal by its comprehensive benefit for all men, by the aspiration to build a society on the principles that would stimulate a humane and constructive development and rise of such society, and that would not allow for a return to the previous ignorance, anarchy, godlessness, wars, and bloodshed, as it happens with the development achieved under the fold of the Western materialistic civilization. If we perceive the objectives and purpose for which lighting in Islam was prescribed, we shall understand the meaning of the phrase that the struggle is in the name of God. The struggle in the name of God, jihad, is a struggle for achieving the good, peace, happiness, and justice in societies. In the name of God's means on his path, and a path does not lead to him unless it is a path of good, love, and helping in the good and piety, not in sin and injustice.